You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Tuesday, the 10th of November, which means it's been three days since the election was called for Joe Biden. And guys, there were so many celebrations that I'm still finding confetti in my clothes. Like, everywhere, look, look, look at, oh, wait, no. Oh, that's ham. Huh, weird. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, coronavirus is going down. But first, it's going way up. Donald Trump thinks he's in a heist movie and rock legend Lenny Kravitz is our guest. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Right now, the coronavirus is giving us a lot of good news and bad news. You know, sort of like getting laid at the family reunion. And because it's 2020, let's get straight to the bad news first. This morning, the U.S. surpassing a staggering 10 million COVID-19 infections, the highest number of reported cases in any nation. In the past week, roughly 74 Americans were diagnosed every minute. Countries across Europe are struggling to keep COVID-19 at bay. France has reported its highest daily death toll since the start of the second wave. And the weekly death toll in England and Wales has jumped by 41%, surpassing 1,000 for the first time since June. In Utah, overcrowding in intensive care units, forcing Governor Gary Hubert to declare a new state of emergency. I am placing the entire state of Utah under a mask mandate until further notice. That's right. Corona is blowing up in Europe and America again. In fact, it's rampaging across the Western world so hard that scientists have had to invent new shades of red for those COVID maps. So right now the Midwest is kind of blood meets uh, fire engine, but the East Coast over here is only at pothead eyes. And I see what Corona did here. It waited for all of us to be distracted by the election and then boom, snuck into our lungs. It's like how Joey Fatone snuck into NSYNC. Everyone was so focused on rehearsing the dance moves, they didn't notice their bus driver had joined the group. It's gotten so bad that now even Utah is under a mask mandate. And you know shit is bad when even Mormons are using protection. So that's the bad news. But I did promise you the good news too. And people, This is the news we've all been waiting for. The drug giant Pfizer said yesterday that its vaccine candidate has, was more than 90% effective in early testing. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the government's top infectious disease expert, called the news extraordinary. He also says there are likely to be other effective vaccines coming soon. The news from Pfizer was even better than expected. I would have been very satisfied with a 70% effective vaccine According to a Pfizer press release, out of almost 44,000 trial participants, 94 got sick from COVID. Four weeks after the start of the two-dose regimen and seven days after the second dose, protection from symptomatic COVID was greater than 90%. We were jumping out of the chairs, screaming basically, this is unbelievable, oh my God. We may put an end to this terrible pandemic. Jumping out of their chairs, screaming you know something is good news if it turns a laboratory into the Apollo. The COVID protection rate is 90%. 
And maybe it's because I grew up watching Dexter's Lab, but this scientist's accent makes me want to trust him more because he sounds like a scientist. I'm not gonna lie, if he had the voice of a frat bro, I might be a little hesitant. Dude, this protection rate is like 90%, pretty much the opposite of when I bang. But this is amazing news. In fact, right now, if you're feeling chills, a little dizzy, lightheaded, that might not be corona. That might be the symptoms of hope. I know, you probably haven't felt it in a while. If you've also lost your sense of smell, you should go to the hospital, that's, that's not hope. And in a year like this, it feels so exciting to get all this good news in one week, huh? One week, all this good news. I'm like, calm down, 2020, <laughs> is it my birthday? Wait, is it my birthday? I've lost track of time. I don't even, did I miss my birthday, guys? Plus, Dr. Fauci approves of the vaccine, and that is a great sign. I pretty much don't do anything unless that man thinks it's a good idea. Hey, Dr. Fauci, I was thinking of ordering Thai food, and I just wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I know you're busy, but if you texted back, maybe I wouldn't have to call. Now, to be clear, there are still a lot of unknowns about this vaccine situation and how it could play out, right? Pfizer has put out a very promising press release, but they haven't actually shown complete data yet. And basically, a press release is like a trailer for a movie that looks really cool, but we still gotta see the whole movie before we know for sure. You know, is it gonna be Avengers or is it gonna be Justice League? Is it gonna be Parasite or is it gonna be Justice League? Plus, this particular vaccine is gonna be really hard to distribute because it has to be kept super cold the entire time at approximately negative 70 degrees Celsius, which is like negative 4 billion Fahrenheit in those imaginary numbers Americans use. You know what I'm saying. And the question is, how are you gonna keep a vaccine that cold during transport? I mean, the one way is to keep it in the limo between Trump and Melania, it's super chilly in there. Or here's my idea the government should hire every ice cream truck in America to distribute the vaccine. Yeah, I'll volunteer to drive. Mr. Ice Cream Man, we need the vaccine! Stop, Mr. Ice Cream Man! Oh, I heard them. I'm just gonna make them run a few more blocks. So, while we're waiting for the vaccine to actually become available, we need to get the virus under control. And that job is about to fall to a new president, Joseph Remdesivir Biden. And it looks like he's hitting the ground running. President-elect Joe Biden making it clear the work begins today with the pandemic his first order of business. Biden briefed by his new coronavirus task force, led by former Obama Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, David Kessler, who ran the FDA under George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, and Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, a professor of public health at Yale. He also implored every American to do their part. We could save tens of thousands of lives if everyone would just wear a mask for the next few months. Not Democrat or Republican lives, American lives. Poor Joe Biden. He's trying so hard. He sounds like the only dude who tries to follow the rules at the sauna. Guys, if we all just wore a towel, we could avoid so many unnecessary rashes. But yeah, Biden has a brand new task force. And personally, I think it's an interesting choice to fill your task force with people who know what they're doing. Like, I don't even think he asked the MyPillow guy. I mean, it's not what we're used to, but I guess we'll give it a shot. And honestly, that's gonna be the biggest difference between Trump and Biden as presidents. 
Biden is going to be telling us all the boring things like, you know, be responsible, look out for each other. Meanwhile, Trump was like getting that one day a month with your divorced dad. You know, he's going to sneak you into Six Flags and let you try beer, which is fine for a day or two. But after four years, your future starts to look really bleak. Oh, and speaking of irresponsible, remember how the White House had a corona breakout last month because they didn't follow the rules? And you thought, oh, well, maybe this will be the thing that whips them into shape? Well, think again. This morning, the Trump administration is yet again the center of a COVID outbreak. Housing Secretary Ben Carson, a doctor and member of the president's COVID panel, and David Bossie, who's leading the president's election legal team, among at least nine people in Trump's circle to be diagnosed in recent days. God damn, people. Another outbreak in Trump's White House? Another outbreak? That means coronavirus has now been in the White House longer than most of Trump's cabinets. And I expected this from everyone else. To Ben Carson? I know you own a mask. You've been wearing one for 40 years. Don't be letting these crazy white folk bring you down, Dr. Carson. You saw what they did to Herman Cain. At the rate things are going, they're gonna be finding corona in the White House for decades after Trump leaves. It's gonna be behind the walls, in the insulation. Before Biden moves in, they're gonna have to cover the whole place in one of those tents. In fact, given how much corona is in the White House, maybe Trump shouldn't leave. Because let's be honest, that's Corona's HQ right now. Let's just keep Trump inside, build a wall around it, and then get Joe Biden a nice Airbnb in DC. That way, everybody wins. When we come back, will Donald Trump actually leave the White House? Well, we'll find out. Plus, Lenny Kravitz is joining us on the show. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. It has been four days since the presidential election was called for Joe Biden, but Donald Trump has still not conceded, which I get. I mean, he wants to cling onto power as long as he can. And also golfing isn't as much fun when you're not missing work to do it. And if it was just Trump's personal delusion that he won the election, it might not matter so much, but he's got a lot of people who are right there with him. Many are trying to steal this election from President Trump. There is no doubt about it. The real point is that fraud took place, and that should horrify us. I can factually tell you tonight, it will be impossible to ever know the true, fair, accurate election results. That's a fact. There's simply no way Joe Biden was legitimately elected president. It just can't believe it. I ask, oh God, that you would take your iron rod And I ask that you would smash the delusion, father, of Joe Biden as our president. He is not. The media said Joe Biden's president. Ha 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 Either that man is the devil or he's auditioning to be the next Joker. Now, what's really weird is that Fox has already projected Biden as the winner of the election, right? But then Fox are also the same people denying that he won the election. Like, which one is it? It's like when your dog wants to play fetch, but then refuses to let go of the ball. Make up your mind, Fido. And whether these people believe what they're saying or they're just pretending to believe it, it's terrifying either way. But regardless, it's not surprising. 
It's not surprising that people like Sean Hannity and Lou Dobbs are Trump ride or die. What's a bigger deal is that Republicans with actual power are also throwing their weight behind Trump's election challenges. Falling in line, key Republicans get behind President Trump and his claims without evidence of widespread voter fraud. The president has every right to look into allegations and to request recounts under the law. I'm gonna stand with President Trump. If a Democrat were doing this, it'd be cheered on. And we're not gonna let the media intimidate us. The Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, just told reporters that he basically does not trust the election results either. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Overnight, Attorney General William Barr in a Justice Department memo authorizing U.S. attorneys to pursue substantial allegations of voting irregularities if they find them. Oh, mega fans rejoice because Bill Barr is on the case. Yes! The same Bill Barr who investigated Obama and found nothing with the same Department of Justice that investigated Hillary and found nothing. So if you're looking to find nothing, you know the man to call. Oh, and it looks like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are also partnering with Trump to undermine the election, which is a terrible idea. But I would love to see these three together in a heist movie. Okay, guys, you steal the votes and then I'll meet you at the Four Seasons parking lot. Which four seasons? Oh, here we go again. Now look, I don't know if Donald Trump genuinely believes that he's the real winner of this election. I mean, keep in mind, he's also the person who actually thinks he looks good. Like he does his hair in the morning and walks away from the mirror thinking, yeah, I nailed it. So who knows what he thinks? But the truth of the matter is, most other Republicans know that Joe Biden will be the next president. And right now, they're just saying what Trump and his base want to hear, not because they're worried about the vote that just happened, but because of the one that's around the corner. Lindsey Graham this morning fessed up as to one reason why they're standing behind him. They've got two Senate elections and uh, special elections that will occur in January. If Democrats win both, they will gain control of the Senate under the new president. Lindsey Graham said, if we don't scrutinize these election results, we could hurt our chances of riling up our base and turning them out in January. They're concerned that if they get sideways with the president, either he won't help in Georgia with these two seats at stake, or Trump voters will be depressed and stay home. So again, they're playing this dangerous game to keep people energized. Uh, yeah, that's dangerous. Trump is screaming made up shit that's weakening trust in American democracy. But Republicans are going along with it so that they can squeeze out a few more seats in the Senate. It's like burning down your house just to make s'mores or dating Kevin Federline just so you can maybe meet Britney Spears. Is it worth it? And by the way, Trump's refusal to concede the election doesn't just raise a big philosophical concern about the democratic system. It is also messing with Joe Biden's plans in some very concrete ways. Starting the transition of power between the Trump and Biden administrations is extremely critical, but Biden is still unable to unlock all of the resources that should now be available to him as the winner of the election, including access to highly classified information and intelligence briefings. Holding the key, the General Services Administration, whose Trump-appointed administrator, Emily Murphy, has refused to cooperate with Biden's transition as president-elect. A GSA spokesman telling CNN, there is no election winner. So just to be clear, Trump isn't just off in a corner blowing off steam. No, his refusal to accept reality is gonna affect Joe Biden's ability to govern effectively from day one. And with all the shit that America is going through right now, 
Joe Biden needs every day that he can get. But now Biden can't get briefings. He can't get the money to set up his staff. And knowing Trump, I bet it'll even get pettier than that. I bet Trump's gonna take all the remote control batteries with him when he leaves. He's gonna replace all the toilet paper with that really thin toilet paper that your fingers always poke through. Oh, he's gonna change all the speed dials on the phone in the Oval Office so that they call the wrong world leaders. President Macron, it's me, Joe Biden. How crazy is that Vladimir Putin? This is Vladimir Putin. So look, for the sake of the country, hopefully Republicans will step up and get Trump to at least give Biden the tools that he needs to take over. The same way Trump got the tools when he was going to take over. Because otherwise, no one is gonna be laughing. Well, except for this guy. (laughs) Definitely the devil. When we come back, we'll talk about how previous presidents have conceded and which one of them was in the shower when he got the big call. Don't forget, Lenny Kravitz is still joining us, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. As we've been discussing, President Trump has shown no signs of conceding the election to Joe Biden. But the question is, why is conceding such a big deal? Well, let's find out why in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. The concession speech. It's a time-honored tradition of US politics, like kissing babies and interns without their permission. And while there's nothing about it in the Constitution or the law, it's become a very important part of America's democracy. One of the most important norms that a person who loses an election faces is to concede that election and and allow that peaceful transfer of power to go forward. The loser grants legitimacy to the winner of an American election through their concession speech. We have fought the good fight. We fought hard. We've come to an end. We accept this result. We will work together. Once the decision is made, we unite behind the man who is elected. It's a simple courtesy that began in 1896 with a two-sentence telegram that William Jennings Bryan sent to William McKinley two days after the election. And the tradition has continued in some form or another in every election since. Al Smith gave the first radio concession in 1928 after losing to Herbert Hoover. In 1940, moviegoers watched Wendell Wilkie concede to FDR in a newsreel. People of America, I accept the result of the election. When Gerald Ford lost the 1976 election, his voice gone, he turned to his wife to read his concession. The president asked me to tell you that he telephoned President-elect Carter a short time ago and congratulated him on his victory. You know how the saying goes, behind every great man is a great woman waiting to be pushed in front to do his dirty work. If you ask me, it's actually a little risky having your wife concede for you because she knows shit. Okay, you all know my husband is a loser, but what you don't know is how much of a loser he is. First of all, he has skid marks on his underwear like every day. So even though it's not legally required, conceding is really important. You know, it's the same way you have to say, let's catch up soon to someone you haven't seen in a long time, even though you know that's never gonna happen. Or the same way you have to wash your hands in a public bathroom if someone else sees you. And it's interesting how the way candidates concede tracks the technology of the era. You know, first they conceded by telegram, then by radio, then telephone. 
which means in 20 years, Don Jr. will have to concede to President Malia by TikTok. That's right. In modern history, every candidate has offered a concession, no matter how painful. Although there were some candidates who couldn't wait to get it out of the way. In 1980, Jimmy Carter was defeated resoundingly by Ronald Reagan by about 10 points. The first thing that Jimmy Carter says, I want to have the best transition in history. Carter decided very early in the evening at like 5.30 California time where Reagan was to concede. He did this over the objection of some of his aides who felt that the polls were still open on the West Coast. But Carter wanted to get it over with. So he called much earlier than Reagan expected. Nancy Reagan was in the bath. Ronald Reagan was in the shower. When the president was on the other end of the phone, I was wrapped in a towel and dripping wet, and he told me that he was conceding. And uh, that wasn't the way I'd pictured it. Okay, a guy wanting to concede that fast would actually make me suspicious of becoming president. It's like when someone is a little too happy that you're dating their ex. And you have to admit, the story about Reagan is really humanizing. You know, you never think of presidents running through the house in a towel trying to get to the phone before it stops ringing, but they did. Even President Lincoln had to deal with it. Hold on, hold on. Yes, are you calling to concede? No, I do not want to buy slaves. Stop calling this number. Unsubscribe. I've got to do something about this. So, The formal concession has been an important part of the peaceful transition of power for nearly 125 years. But there have been a handful of times when it almost didn't happen. In 1916, the presidential race wasn't called for more than two weeks. Democratic President Woodrow Wilson and Republican Charles Evan Hughes both claimed victory one day after Election Day, but Hughes conceded on November 22nd. In 2000, it played out over 36 days. Al Gore called George W. Bush to concede after a remarkably close election, only to call an hour later to take it back. After a recount in a Supreme Court case, Gore decided to concede again. In 1876, Rutherford Hayes, the governor of Ohio, is running for the Republicans. Samuel Tilden, ex-governor of New York at that time, is running as the Democratic candidate. And it's a very close, disputed election. And two days before Inauguration Day, the dispute was still alive. Both sides were planning on inaugurating their candidate. Only two days before did Tilden concede, and the country came very, very close to a terrible outcome. Yeah. One time America got close to having not one, but two inaugurations, which would have been a nightmare. Can you imagine all the traffic? Plus, you're gonna need two Sean Spices to lie about the size of two crowds? And the dueling presidential speeches must be terrible. It's like the Brandy and Monica of inaugurations. The crowd is mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. By the way, 1876 must have been a really shitty time to live through a contested election. I mean, because now we've got Twitter, we can just scroll. They could only look out of their window all day waiting for some dude on a horse to deliver the news. Look, here he comes. He has the election results. Oh no, no wait. He's just got a list of other horses that he thinks I should follow. It's just an ad. But if concessions haven't always gone smoothly, in the end, it's a gentleman's agreement that every candidate has adhered to. But Donald Trump is no gentleman. And it's pretty likely that he's going to end his term in office by breaking one final unwritten rule. The good news is, it might not really matter. 
if President Trump decides not to do it, nothing consequential happens to the outcome. There will still be a peaceful transition of power, no matter if Donald Trump stays in the White House or if he decides to leave. The codes, the nuclear codes and every code will be delivered to Joe Biden. The Constitution has a remedy. If you are not the electoral vote winner on January 20th of the following year, you're no longer the president. You're a trespasser. The Biden campaign saying the United States government is perfectly capable of escorting trespassers out of the White House. That's right, people. And best believe, if Trump is escorted out, he's not going to give a shit about anything, especially keeping national secrets. Get your hands off of me. E.T.'s hiding in the Hoover Dam. Tupac is alive. He lives in Montreal. The moon landing was faked. There's no such thing as the moon. All I know is this. When they kick Donald Trump out of the house, they better change the codes to everything immediately because I know him. He's going to try and log back in. They better make the code something he'd never guess, like Eric's birthday. So if President Trump doesn't concede, he will put a stain on the American presidency that'll never go away. But on the other hand, he could be physically dragged out of the White House. So maybe it's worth it. And if you don't know, now you know. All right, don't go away, because when we come back, the legendary Lenny Kravitz will join us on the show to talk about his amazing life. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I caught up with rock legend Lenny Kravitz. We talked about how he's been riding out the pandemic in the Bahamas and the fascinating life that he's lived and talked about in his brand new memoir. Lenny Kravitz, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Good to see you, my brother. Every time I see you, I feel like you have unlocked a cheat code to life that makes you more relaxed and more cool than any other human being on the planet. And I I genuinely would like to know what is your secret? Man, I'm just, uh, I'm living in a constant state of gratitude, uh, of acceptance, of growth. Um, I'm at peace, you know? And uh, it's been a long journey getting there, let me tell you. It's been a long journey ride but i feel great i've never felt better and uh you know the best is in front of us it's funny that you say the long ride because you know i grew up knowing lenny kravitz as the rock legend you know i know lenny kravitz is the guy who sold over 40 million records the guy who has four grammys the guy who has toured the world multiple times but reading your book um that you recently put out the new york times bestseller truly gave me a different insight into who you are. Cause I thought it was gonna be like a, a rock star book of just like, you know, juicy stories and rock tales. But it felt like, it felt like a therapy session. It felt like a, like, like a vulnerable conversation with Lenny Kravitz, the human being. Talk me through why you chose to write the book about the first 25 years of your life instead of the following 25 years of your life. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I never thought of writing a book. I didn't want to write a book. It was not in my mind. Uh, through a mutual friend, I met uh, David Ritz uh, and uh, at a dinner, and I knew his books, I'd read his books, I know he's a great writer, and he said, uh, you should write a book, and I'd like to help you do it, but you should write it. And uh, I thought that's wonderful, but I'm not interested. By the end of the dinner, he'd convince me. And the biggest thing for me was I thought my life wasn't interesting enough (laughs) to write about. Um, I really didn't. But I took it as a challenge. And when I got into it, I realized this was about healing. 
And it was about, uh, especially when it comes to the relationship with my father, which was very challenging. Uh, and we had just made peace before he passed. So there were still issues and things that weren't worked out. But through writing this book, right. I was able to back up and see people in my life, including myself as a character. And it took that, it took the personal part off of it. And I began to love my father in a way that I couldn't when he was alive. And, and it just provided a lot of healing. And, you know, the beautiful thing is even though people may not be on the planet anymore, it doesn't mean that your relationship can't evolve based upon what's going on in your spirit and in your mind. Do you, do you think that your relationship with your father affected how you became a dad yourself? Because, I mean, one of my favorite things to watch is how you interact with your daughter, Zoe. You, you seem like the biggest teammates. You know, you seem like you respect each other on, 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 a, on, a, on a mutual level. But at the same time, she still goes, that's my dad. Do you think maybe that affected it? And you said to yourself, hey, I'm going to be a different kind of dad with doing the best with what I have. Yes, I, I, I knew what I didn't want to be. But the beauty was also... I got to see him be a really wonderful grandfather. And of course, uh, my mother and her father, uh, my grandfather who's from the Bahamas, uh, they had the relationship that Zoe and I have. So I was witness to that. They were so tight, so close. They were father and daughter. They were best friends. And uh, I mean, we used to make fun of it. My grandfather would come up to the house and hang out all day with my mother, all day, talking, 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 talking. And then he'd leave, and then an hour later, I'd hear her on the phone talking to him again. I said, he was just here. He just left. He was here for, he was here for eight hours. What could you possibly have to talk about more? But that's how they were. So I was taught that, and, and I look at the relationship that Zoe and I have. Well, I just spoke to two minutes before uh, you and I got on here. Um, and we have that relationship, and it's a, it's, a, it's a true blessing. You know, Lenny Kravitz is is a mix of everything. You know, uh, I, I related to a bit of your story just because of that. You know, coming from a from a biracial household, especially in the time when it was not normal. I mean, that's that's when you were born into this family. You know, to yes. to, to to have a mom who was the first inter, in the first interracial couple on television. It was a big deal. Your mom is one of the women in the book who you celebrate, and I mean, like you really celebrate this woman. Like when you read this book, you go like, man, this is truly Lenny's love letter to his mom. And I can relate to that, but, but I wanted to know like, what do you think it is about your mom that made you who you are today? She was an elegant, graceful, soulful human being. She never had a bad word to say about anybody. She didn't judge people. Her mind was open. She didn't gossip. Uh, it was all about putting positive energy into the world. Uh, at her funeral, uh, Robert Guillaume, the actor, uh, got up to speak. And he said, if Roxy were s- sitting next to the devil himself, she'd say, what a lovely red suit. <laughs> it, was all, it was all about always putting positive energy forth regardless of the situation. And so she was that person. And she also taught me to be proud um, of who I was, that I was a young black person, but 
I have this Russian Jewish father. I want you to be uh, proud of both sides. I want you to understand both sides. I want you to participate in both sides, but understand that you are black. And she wow. taught me that from a, from a very young age. You take the good with the bad and you try and live the best life possible. I feel like that's, that's what Lenny Kravitz does. You know, that's, I mean, you, you're the guy who got stranded in the Bahamas, you know, I mean, also, I mean, it's, it's, it's your home, it's one of your homes, but right. you went there thinking, I'm going for like, what, a week or a weekend? A week, yeah, yeah. The yeah. pandemic yeah, hits, and then it's like, that's it. And so your clothes run out, which means you're just running around topless, which is great for everyone else who's around there. I, 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 I broke you out a shirt I haven't worn in the entire <laughs> you're getting one of the You're getting one of the new shirts that, that uh, that's been hanging in the back of the closet that doesn't smell too bad, so yeah. I appreciate that, I appreciate that. <laughs> Why do you think it's so important for Lenny Kravitz to spend so much time disconnected? Because that, that's, that's something I've noticed about you as a human being. Like in the conversations I've been lucky enough to have with you whenever we've hung out, I know that that's something that's really important to you. Is you, you find ways to disconnect. You go to the Bahamas, you got your farm in yes, Brazil. Yes. You, yes. You, you have many spaces where you're not with the world. Why do you do that? Disconnecting for me is, is connecting actually, because that's when it gets quiet. Mm -hmm. That's when I that's when I slow down and I become part of the nature and I can hear I can truly hear and that's when the music just starts coming right I'm not I'm not writing it I'm receiving it and uh, so I love that you know keeping you know I haven't worn shoes in eight months you know I'm I'm grounded I'm walking in the grass on the dirt on the sand for the last eight months with no shoes, uh, all of that. And just being quiet and being in the middle of all this nature uh, just enables me to be more creative. Wow. Yeah, man, I, I'll tell you this. You, you, you are living a, a blessed life and you bless us with those blessings. Um, uh, thank you for looking after yourself. Thank you for taking man, the time. So, thank you for sharing so, what you've so shared in the book, man. You, man. I'm, I'm always watching you. I appreciate and, it. Uh, it's a pleasure, my brother. I hope to see you soon in person. Yeah, man, I'm going to get to the dreads and then we're going to walk in the streets together and they'll be like, damn, look at those two guys. They both good look. Who's the guy with the... Oh, there's one guy with a six-pack and one guy who does not have a six-pack at all. That's very far. He, he probably eats for the other guy. That's what happens there. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz, man, thank you so much, my dude. I really appreciate Respect you joining us. Don't forget, Lenny's memoir, Let Love Rule, is available now. All right, everybody. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go... Thanksgiving is coming up. But in the corona era, homebound seniors are at greater risk than ever before, especially those who don't know where their next meal is coming from. The good news is though, Meals on Wheels is out in the streets delivering meals to elderly Americans every single day to keep them safe and nourished in communities across the country. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, no matter who you are, there's no shame in admitting that you've lost or in giving a concession speech, or crying big boo-boo tears because you're a boo-boo baby, no matter who you are. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.